Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. And so I want to say thank you to all of you who this week um, I posted just where, where is your favorite Christmas music coming from? And I've been thinking a lot about Christmas and Advent music. Um, the soundtrack that is in my head for this season, and this was just my family growing up, it was always instrumental guitar music. Like that has always been Christmas music for me. I don't need a lot of words. I just love hearing the sound of a good guitar plus whatever else. And in my family, it tended to be a lot of mandolin and banjo. We listened to a lot of bluegrass music growing up. But, uh, but you know, I've just been trying to, trying to get myself to a spot where I'm like, you know what, let's just let the goodness of the season wash over. And you all have given me plenty to listen to. So thank you very much. Although I will admit, I did not see that much Kenny G coming. I didn't realize there were that many Kenny G fans around here. That was surprising to me. Now, while I'm a huge believer in Advent and Advent music, thus making me a very unpopular person in congregations at this time of the year, this year I figured, you know what, why even fight it? Like, some of you right now are thinking, well, why fight it at all, Pastor? I want you to know I hear you and don't think I don't see you. Some of you are ready as soon as Thanksgiving's over to hit the Christmas tunes, and I usually like to pull back a little bit. I think there's, there's value in waiting. But this year I'm like, it's not, it's not even worth it. Like, even I'm just like, can we just get to the good stuff? Why? Because Christmas music is really, really powerful. The ideas and emotions that are tucked into it, and it's, it's equal parts of nostalgia combined with beauty, combined with memory, combined with challenge. There is just, the emotions that are wrapped around Christmas music are powerful emotions. But to varying degrees and to varying purposes. So I want to think through some of the songs that we love about Christmas and just kind of think about what is it that makes them so very, very powerful. And I want to start with the best Christmas song of all time, and I don't want to hear any arguments to the contrary. It is Feliz Navidad. Why is it the best Christmas song? Because no Christmas song will make you happier and make you want to dance. And I try not to throw my kids under the bus. I'm going to do it this one Sunday. We're putting up the Christmas tree yesterday. Feliz Navidad comes on, and even Caleb is dancing to this song. And I know if Caleb's dancing, there's something powerfully emotional about it. You can come at me all day. I think it's the best one. But then, to think about another song there, think about All I Want for Christmas is You which I still believe is the only modern Christmas song which makes the classics list. We haven't written too many good ones here recently. That one is one that just kind of sticks. And it speaks to the fun and romance of a yearned-for relationship. Powerful emotion. I want to back up for a second, and I want you to post this, okay? We've talked about Feliz Navidad and All I Want for Christmas is You. Which one is stuck in your head right now? But other songs get weightier, right? The song, I, Jenny's a huge fan of Bing Crosby, so we listen to a lot of that at Christmas time. And I've heard a lot of I'll Be Home for Christmas. Expresses a deep familial love. It's beautiful. It really speaks to a family that loves one another, relationships that are deep, but that is interrupted, if you know the story, by the strain of war. 
reflected in the family and in the soldier, these two entities which are separated from one another, and yet there's a sense in which nothing can separate them, longing to be together. What all of these songs speak to is the emotional power that this season has tucked into its folds. Christmas expresses big and bold ideas. And here at the end of the year, we are invited to reconnect with those really deep emotions and reconnect with something of our fundamental humanity. Fun, beauty, longing, yes, even sadness, even missing others, and yes, even hope. Christmas is intended to churn up these emotions to get deep in us, to connect us with our deepest selves so that we can more fully connect with the deepest things that are true about ourselves. What the Bible says is true for when we listen to Christmas music and how we celebrate this. Christmas is intended to shine a light in the darkness, to show us who and what we are, and to give us direction for all that we shall become. So, if you are that person who just has to listen to Christmas music because it connects with something deep in you, the answer is yes, it is connecting with something deep in it is connecting with something deep inside of you, and that's the whole point. Now you're like, Pastor, we didn't talk about any Christian hymns. I'm coming to that. So let's look at a personal favorite of mine. You're like, dude, he wants to talk about all I want for Christmas is you, but not anything else. And so I have listened to Mary Ann play this a million times this week, and so I wanted to think about joy to the world. Let's think about the sentiments that are hidden in there. Do you really listen to our Christmas hymns? Joy to the world, the Lord is come. And we say, oh, this is beautiful. You can already hear it in your head, I'm sure. But we might do wise to step back and say, wait a second, we have this announcement that a new king is coming. Not every announcement of a new Lord is a good one, but let's go with it. Let's just assume this is a positive thing. Next line, let earth receive her king. Interesting. King, friends, is an undeniably political term. Don't try to get around it. Don't try to pretend it doesn't matter. It is a political term. King implies power, and if a king is coming, then what is suggested is that the king we have now, or whatever it is that's calling in our shots right now, whatever it is, isn't the king, and maybe that'll get a little tricky. Kings don't tend to suffer other kings all that well. And earth, aren't we supposed to question those who proclaim to be a worldwide savior. But let's keep going with this. Let every heart prepare him room. An invitation, yes, but a worldwide call, which feels, again, challenging. The coming of this child is going to disrupt not just nations, but you and me. Let every heart prepare him room. We're going to have to do some cleaning up. We're going to have to sort some things out. And I'm not sure that we're sufficiently cognizant of that fact most of the time. Joy to the world calls us to rearrange the furniture in the heart. But then finally we drop it off with, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing. Here at the end we get this repeated line intended to drive the point deep into our psyches is that this disruptive Lord, as disruptive as this Lord is, is an occasion for joy. Now you take all this, the stuff that gets played on the radio and the stuff that gets played in the church, you put it all together and take a look at what happens in this season. What is happening in our hearts is the same, the same thing that happens in, our, in this season. 
where everything is getting churned up so that we might move forward better. And when we put all this together, what we discover is that the nativity of Christ, this season in which we find ourselves, is an apocalypse. It is an apocalypse. Apocalypse is supposed to churn us up. Apocalypse is supposed to disorient us so that it can reorient us towards something deeper. So what you are feeling when you get in the car, turn on the radio, and you're rocking out to Feliz Navidad, and don't lie to me, you know you rock out to it. What you are feeling in that moment of being churned up is the same thing that Christmas is intended to do, which is churn us up because it is apocalypse. Now, we're accustomed to think of, thinking of apocalypse in these earth-scorched terms. And maybe you're like, please don't tell me you're doing a COVID apocalypse thing. No, we don't necessarily need to go there. But we're used to thinking about it, a judgment upon judgment. It usually is dark and lots of fire and brimstone. I'm not even quite sure what that is, but it doesn't sound good. We're used to thinking about apocalypse in that way. And indeed, it's our own scriptures that give us that some of the time. But there's a lot more to apocalypse from that, and there's a lot more to apocalypse that's more important than scorched earth. Apocalypse simply means unveiling. That's all an apocalypse is. It is an unveiling, a revealing of something that previously was hidden. One author writes, The apocalyptic visions of the Bible are poetic efforts of people living under the oppressive forces of empire to keep hope alive. They write this scorched earth stuff because the earth that they see right now is a complete mess, and so to keep hope alive, this can't be all there is. There has to be something else coming. They write this, this apocalypse to say something better is coming. Another one of my favorite authors, Eugene Peterson, writes, he says, apocalypse is arson. Now, I, admittedly, a little violent language there, but hear what, hear what Peterson's trying to get at. It says, it secretly sets a fire in the imagination that boils the fat out of an obese culture religion and renders a clear gospel love, a pure gospel hope, a purged gospel faith. Apocalypse is disruptive so that it can be reorganizing. It is intended to tear up the hardened soil of our life, our obscured view of the world, and give us clean eyes and renewed faith. If apocalypse only and everywhere depresses us and hells us, dividing people into pieces and saying these people are bad and these people are good and all that kind of stuff, if that's what apocalypse says, it's not working. But if apocalypse, like a tiller, is tilling up the hard, in, the hard pack of our souls so something new can be planted, then apocalypse is doing the right thing. The point of apocalypse is so that we can see clearly. And once we see clearly, then we can live differently. Think about this for a minute, and I am going to do a, a just this much of COVID today. One might say that this COVID, this whole year has been one giant apocalypse in our lives. It has exposed so much that is off or coming up short in our lives. I mean, look at our world. We have billionaires making money while food line food banks lines stretch for miles. We have inequality. We have judgment. We have division. All of that has come to the surface this year. COVID has not created a ton of more problems. Yes, there are people dying. Yes, there are people suffering. But what, it, what has happened in COVID is that we've exposed all the problems that are hidden underneath. They have been unveiled. 
And yes, it's deeply disconcerting. But now we know. It has been revealed. Now we can live differently if we so choose. From our hymns to our hearts to our faith in the current day, Christmas is intended to be apocalyptic. Now today's readings are intended to be of great help to an apocalyptic people. Today's readings are intended to be a great help to an apocalyptic people. Isaiah, writing to a people whose lives have been completely and indeed violently uprooted, the message is not to rage, not to despair, not to violence, not to take up arms, but is a familiar and yet out of this world word. He says, comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term. The prophet calls to Israel and says, in your apocalyptic moment, God says, I see you. You have not been forgotten. Yes, things have been revealed. Yes, things are set out of balance a little bit. This resetting, this uprooting, though, is not for nothing. It is not for destruction, but rather it's that God was reaching down to churn up the soil of our lives so that something new could be planted. He says, comfort, comfort, it's going to be okay. And it's really instructive for us. We say, well, how can we tell that it's going to be okay? How can we see that God is starting to put things aright? How shall this new life be discovered and recognized? Well, it's... The, the prophet says God is going to make it plain. He says a voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all people shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Isaiah says, look, when this apocalypse is going to be set right, there is going to be a voice in the wilderness who's going to say, prepare the way of the Lord. He's going to make the way straight. He says he's going to set it right so that we can, so that we can know that this apocalyptic moment is not for nothing, that God still intends salvation. The prophet suspects that the one who goes before the one who will set things right has something to say and will get us ready. Doesn't say who, doesn't make a case for how to know it, just that there's, there's a herald coming who is going to tell us. And it is a herald whom the gospel writers believe is John the Baptist. It's so interesting that the gospel writers take this very passage out of Isaiah and they stick it, a couple of them stick it right in the front of their gospel. And it says that John came crying in the wilderness, saying exactly these words, prepare the way of the Lord. The coming of Christ is an apocalyptic event, this deeply unveiling, light-shining, earth-churning event, king-toppling, society-resetting event that we feel in our bones every time we turn on the radio this season. We are an apocalyptic people, but we are reminded, comfort, comfort you, my people. And if you are feeling churned up in this season, if you are feeling like the apocalypse has collapsed in upon you, then this call of the prophet is for you. The call to comfort is for you. So many of us walk through this season going, I don't hear from God, I don't know what's up. But every time we turn on that radio and we feel something powerful inside of us, God is saying this call to apocalypse, this call to setting things right is for you. And writing to an apocalyptic people, our intuition might be that the scriptures invite us to hunker down, bunker up, wall ourselves in so that all this destruction won't touch us. But is that really what we ought to do? 
Because today we get in our second reading, our New Testament reading, we get our second or maybe third most apocalyptic book, Revelation being the first, of course. But Second Peter is an apocalyptic book written to an apocalyptic people. And Peter is the one who writes. So we have this prophetic message, this apocalyptic message, this message that sees a new world. We have this message more fully confirmed. You will do well to be attentive to this as, a, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. He says, folks, we have a message. It's a good message. Pay attention. He's calling to us as an apocalyptic people to be prepared for an unveiling. In other words, to be people of this nativity, people who see what God is doing at Christmas. And here's how he calls an apocalyptic people to be. He says, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient, not wanting any to perish. Apocalypse is not defined by destruction. For Peter, it is defined by patience and by love. Yes, the Lord will come like a thief, but you don't have to light yourselves on fire to be a part of it. Rather, he asks, since all of these things are going to be dissolved in this way, all this burden, all this trouble that you are enduring, since all these things are going to be dissolved in this way, what sort of persons ought you to be in leading lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of, the, of, the day of God? The answer to apocalypse is not a sandwich board on the street corner saying that everything's going to burn. The answer to apocalypse is holiness and godliness. And in this way, we lean into peace. Peace, which means a wholeness in ourselves and a wholeness that we anticipate is coming to the world. As the world is upended, we believe that it will not remain upended, but that this child comes to put it back together right. And so as this world is upended, yes, it is destructive. Yes, we feel it in our bones. But as all of that happens, be at peace. Do your work in the moment to reconnect with your deepest self, a self committed to love, to faith, to justice, and to compassion. Leave the destructive stuff for God. Let God worry about that. You, let us look inward as we relate to one another and find ourselves at peace. And in doing so, we'll find ourselves aligned to a world that this newborn king is coming to bring, where Peter writes so beautifully, where righteousness is at home. If Christmas, and if 2020, really is a story about everything being churned up, then maybe there's still good news in that for us. Maybe there's a new way forward. If it's true that we are in an apocalyptic moment where new things are being unveiled and revealed in our life, this moment then is also about an unveiling and a revealing of a new king and a new way to be in the world. And maybe our best response isn't panic, but joy. We have it on good authority that something beautiful is being brought to bear. Yes, there's some discomfort that goes with it, but something beautiful and remarkable is being brought to bear. And so every time your heart churns a little bit on the radio, 
Every time you sit down next to your Christmas tree and you feel that urge, every time you look behind me and see this, see this altar and are remembering things, that churning that happens inside of you, it is the call of God to walk in godliness and holiness. Yes, things are being upended, but we are not being upended with it. Rather, our lives are being set aright. And so we can be at peace. Thanks be to God.